long in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile My curiosity running wild Cruising and playing the radio With Are we on the radio? Welcome back into Car Radio. You're on 910 AM, the Superstation. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News, and joined by uh, Tom McDonald, uh, my good friend, uh, a garage owner out here at M1 Concourse. We are live from M1 for the inaugural American Speed Festival, and uh, what, what an event, what a day. We're, we're blessed with uh, beautiful weather. We're also blessed to have Jim Hall Jr. here with us. Uh, Jim, is it is Jr. correct, or you go by? Both work, but Jim Hall II is official. So. Jim, Jim Hall the, the second, and, uh, of course, uh, you know the name Jim Hall, uh, the creator of the uh, the Chaparral race cars, and, uh, uh, and we're really lucky to have uh, uh, those Chaparrals here, three of them, the 2, the 2E, and the 2F. Uh, they're all on display here this weekend, and Jim, uh, you're you're wheeling them around the track. I, I've uh, had the pleasure of driving all three uh, so far in the three sessions. So, so um, I don't know if we're being followed by a drone right now or what. But yeah, I was making sure that wasn't the uh, radio. That's not us, though. That's something external. And uh, but uh, but hopefully you can hear hear us okay, and you can also hear us uh, pretty good because we're between sessions here at the track. Uh, just a constant stream of uh, beautiful cars. We've seen F five thousand cars out here uh, earlier today. We've seen uh, Can Am uh, cars, and uh, of course we saw those three beautiful uh, Chaparrals, Jim. And it's it's really special. You guys brought them up here. Uh, is this a, this is a pretty unusual experience for folks? This, to see is, these. this is the last time we've had multiple chaparrals together on the track was at Laguna Seca or, or WeatherTech Raceway in 2005. So it's been a long, long time. And uh, um, so a really special event for us and happy we're here and happy the weather is cooperating. And uh, we've had a, a joy so far and going to look forward to driving again this afternoon. I don't know which car I'll be in, but I'll, I'll let you know when I'm in it. And then we have a wonderful event tonight, a static display tomorrow, which might be appropriate because we might have some rain, which we, <laughs> I'm from California, we never see that stuff. So. <laughs> well, of the three cars that you have here, I mean, they're all spectacular and they all have histories uh, of them, themselves. But which one was your dad's uh, either favorite car or his most popular car? I think the innovation that came with the, the two, high wing, the two two E. We have two high wings here, as you know. The innovation that came with the two E for him was kind of his showcase car was spectacular, and to have he and Phil Hill on the racetrack together as teammates, America's first world champion, I think he was very proud of that. That Phil would decide to drive with him when he finished his Formula One career. And, uh, and they became best of friends, and I'm very good friends with Phil's son, Derek Hill. So. And uh, is his wife still alive? Yeah, Alma is. Alma, yeah. Uh, I had dinner with her and Phil several years ago, right before he passed away. Yes. Uh, so, in, uh, so uh, and to come to this track from uh, the tracks I normally run in California, um, I'm pleasantly surprised that they've weaved in between all of these uh, super-duper 
for the fancy car. They weaved in a, a really nice racetrack. They haven't added almost any banking, so it makes it even more tricky. If you make a mistake, you don't have that banking to catch you. And, and Well, uh, we have 32,000 tires around this track. <laughs> 32,000. And we don't want to... <laughs> We don't, don't want to re- we don't want to reuse any of them. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to don't engage any tires or, or right. guardrails. It's it's a tight track. Uh, this this is not a typical track that the Chaparrales would have raced uh, back in their in their heyday. But it's really special to have this right in the metropolitan area, so people can come out and see and see these glorious race cars. Uh, Jim, just uh, take us back uh, to to the history of Chaparrales. Uh, what inspired your father? Uh, to, to get into racing. He's obviously a brilliant engineer. Uh, what, what, what inspired the Chaparral brand? Well, he uh, had graduated from Caltech and, uh, and with an engineering degree. And, uh, and his brother had a performance shop in, in Dallas. And he, he said to uh, his younger brother, Jim, Jim, my dad, until you find what you want to do engineering-wise, I'd like you to come. I'm having some health problems. I'd like you to come to Dallas and oversee the shop. And I have this really great salesman, but I want you to watch over him. And his name is Carol Shelby. And, uh, is that and, right? And was the salesman for my dad's older, older brother's shop. And so Dad and Carol became best of friends, and they would both sell cars to the bankers and the oil men and the ranchers, and they'd say, we'll be happy to drive your, you know, your Lister Jag, your Maserati, your Ferrari. We'll be happy to test drive it for you on a race weekend coming up. So Phil was really good on selling both the deal. We'll sell you a fancy car, and we'll test drive it for you on, at a race. Yeah, that's, so a, they, they that's had quite a meeting of uh, two of the greats in the sport. <laughs> and so, so from there, uh, so from when, there when, when, did he, when did he start racing? So right away, uh, even before that time, his brother had a number of, of cars, um, like a four-cylinder Ferrari called a Monza, and uh, some other nice cars and dad as as a teenager in college whenever he got a chance he was in in pasadena he'd go up to santa barbara airport and race one of his brother's cars or he'd go to texas and race one and then as with that engineering degree when he looked what was available uh, and actually had a car designed by troutsman and barnes they were front engine in that day and he liked it but for some reason the way my dad works he thought maybe i could do it better and so uh, they were, he and Hap Sharp were lucky enough to take over uh, Rattlesnake Raceway in Midland, both oil men, both passionate about racing, and they decided to develop cars together. And, uh, and so they went to, they looked at what was in Europe, they went to a rear engine car for their first car, very similar to the car we have here, the Chaparral 2 2B. And they started developing race cars together and they had their own test, the fabrication shop, the manufacturing, the engine dyno, and then they could roll the car right out on a 1.9 mile, very, very fast racetrack that was right behind the shop. So, so, so Hal Sharp was uh, sort of the, was the, was the financing behind the venture, and your father was the uh, the, the engineer. <laughs> Eventually, both of them, but Hap was ahead of him. He 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 could turn almost anything to gold. So uh, yes, he started out funding a lot of it, and Dad was able to too. And uh, they were great friends, great teammates. So between Hap Sharp and Phil Hill and Carol Shelby and, you know, even with Carol going to that other company forward, and uh, they still remain great friends and wonderful competitors. Yeah. Uh, and, 
Yeah. Where did the name Chaparral come? How did the, your dad come around? It, it to came, came from the the bird, the Roadrunner, and, and he he liked liked the way the Roadrunner bird went beep beep and took off. And uh, and so if you notice in the Chaparral logo, the Roadrunner's in there. Ah, that's right. And, okay. and, and then they now were trying to decide between Roadrunner and Chaparral. So. So, so, the, uh, so Jim, the, obviously a tremendous amount of development going on uh, back then in the in the '60s as, as you cycle through the cars. You mentioned the two, the two, the two E, the two F, uh, on into the uh, the vacuum cleaner car. Uh, it was a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, regulation. Also, I mean, uh, Can was uh, kind of constantly. Uh, uh, kicking these cars out because of their innovation. How did you get involved as a as a son? Have you always been involved in the company? Yes. When I was young, I would polish the cars and uh, take care of the tires. And then, as I became a teenager, I decided I would follow the race team. And uh, the driver that made the largest impression on me was a guy named Brian Redman. And yes. he was a fabulous driver. One of the cars from the era that I worked on the cars is here is Al Unser. And Al, Al Unser raced with us one season and was a fierce competitor for us. The Vels Parnelli's cars that he and, and, and Mario Andretti drove were our biggest, biggest competitors. And, and, and now this and is in Formula, India. This is uh, in Formula 5000. Oh, 5000. In Formula 5000. In, in America, it was the premier series. There wasn't Can-Am at that point. We had people like James Hunt and Jody Schechter and, and many, many, uh, yeah. the David Hobbs. Hobbs, who we just had on the program, uh, won a championship. And, yes. and uh, many, many other people. And we race uh, uh, through the, from 73 through the end of that series and then switched back to Can-Am. Yeah. And then we did that a bit and then went on to Indy cars. So and the, the Indy, the 80 Indy winner is here. And, uh, so you Ray stopped Harris. at the end of Can-Am. I mean, as as Can-Am started, Carl Haas was was the teammate to my dad, and he took over the Can-Am, and dad went to IndyCars, and then later Carl fo followed to the IndyCar. So so, uh, so the impression for me as a teenager was Brian Redman. He won three championships in a row for us, only missed the first championship against Jody Schechter because he had to skip a couple of races. He had a Jody Schechter, he was South African. He right? was South African, became, went to Wolf, and then uh, became world champion Formula One racer. So I didn't realize that. So Redman was driving Chaparral F5000s. Well, they were, they were Lola's, but they were Chaparral tweaked. We did yeah. the engines, we did the, all the development, and Carl Haas was the partner. And we did did that for four seasons. So. Yeah, that's fascinating. So then, then as you guys uh, made the shift to, Indiana, to, to Indianapolis, uh, uh, a lot of legends are made there at Indy. You guys made uh, uh, made some legends yourself in 1978. Al Unser uh, drove the Lola Chaparral uh, for winning the Triple Crown for for us, uh, winning the three 500s, and I think that's the only time it was done. So. If you're going to win three races in a year, those are very good. Ones. It's a pretty good record. And that and that car is here as well. Um, There's a yellow. Indy the yellow car, car the one that won the eighty Indy five hundred, the first ground effects car for Indy cars is here. Okay. And and the, won the Indy car championship and 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 won the Indy five hundred nineteen eighty. Yeah. So so uh, so that's fascinating because that, that's a, that's a natural evolution from what was going on with the early chaparrales. I mean, you were constantly it was it was aerodynamics was uh, the big innovation starting with wings but then starting with ground effects so it, it, did that feel like a natural evolution from the ground effects chaparral can-am cars to the ground effects indycar 
Oh, yes. And and if you look at the original Chaparral 2, there's a lot of innovation. There's a two-speed transmission, which helped later on the three speeds, helped to have the third pedal be the wing adjuster for the front and rear wing. And uh, some of the composite works. If you look at the original Chaparral 2, it's a composite car. It's it's vacuum bag oven-cured composite like the military was doing in those days. So did Dad you, was pushing the envelope in every area. Did your dad use, uh, I mean, aerodynamics is very important, but did he have any relationship to where he went to school, to Caltech, to use their wind tunnel for any development work? He actually, very close to home here, he uh, became very good friends with Bill Mitchell, was the styling design, uh, and General he. Motors, yeah. uh, um, this may be Bobby Rahal coming in. Yeah, we're going to um, be joined by Bobby uh, soon. Good friend, I know. Yeah, well. he's going to join uh, us for the last segment this hour. Um, so uh, he became, and the styling and what he learned from Dunoff and Mitchell probably helped a lot with the styling, how the cars look really nice still today, 50, 50 60 years later. And then uh, his very, very good friend, Frank, Frank Winchell, the head of Chevrolet Engineering, uh, they did some parallel projects together that are still that se- secret to this day. So, <laughs> so we have one of the uh, the the uh, GS GS2 GS2B one of those cars with the museum, the parallel program that Chevrolet was doing out at Tech Center and stuff. What about the vacuum cleaner car? Tell us about that. Um, it was supposed to be a development car. It's it's not pretty like most of the rest. It was it was a development car. For, uh, that was supposed to run in 1971. There was a real push to get it out even in its, in its development time. It wasn't a fully developed car to get it out and get it running because there was already, already maybe the rumor that it was going to be outlawed even before it could run. So they decided to even not develop to push it out there. And Jackie Stewart drove it the first time. I asked him recently, what was it like? And he said the cornering, braking, accelerating ability was so far and beyond what his brain could process in one race weekend that he never even drove it to the limit. And I think he was many seconds faster than the next car. And of course, it had teething problems. It wasn't a fully developed car and, uh, and was very fast. But, but it uh, sure has what, a place in automotive history. Right. It really and many does. years later, the Brabham by Gordon Murray uh, tried a fan car too in Formula One. Uh, we're talking here with uh, Jim Hall II, uh, who's brought these three fabulous uh, chaparrales up here to the American Speed Festival. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, you mentioned some pretty heady names there that came through and drove these cars, uh, Phil Hill and, and Jackie Stewart. Uh, how did that relationship work uh, with the drivers? Did, uh, did, the, did your team go out and recruit these drivers? Yes, as you guys may know, in Can-Am, towards the end of the 68 season, Dad at Las Vegas had a very bad accident and injured both of his legs severely and then had a testing uh, uh, water burns later on and and, uh, later on uh, after that. And he had decided pretty much to not drive at that point. So he tried to hire the best drivers that could work with him. And uh, Jackie be- became available for the one race, and then um, and then uh, then uh, Vic Alford took over that program, and also Race Force and Trans Am. So, so um, 
Yeah, nice those are. To see you, Bobby. Those are. Those are. Uh, so yeah, there's some great names uh, there there in the sport, and so those those drivers uh, really. Uh, uh, we kind of worked well with your father. Obviously, he was doing a lot of innovation at the time. Right. So I mean, fab- we got uh, we got Bobby uh, Bobby Ray all in on that. Bobby uh, put on a headset here and joined the conversation with uh, with Jim Hall uh, the second. Hey, you guys know each other. Uh, we, we do. Bobby, yeah, you ever you ever driven a uh, chaparral? No, no, not not say not yet, not yet. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it, no, I, uh, I, uh, I, I thought one time maybe uh, Jim would make an offer because his engine, the guy who built his engines built mine for IndyCar, and uh, he actually built the, the Chevys for Jim back in the Can-Am days, guy named Franz Weiss, and, uh, but uh, played golf with Jim and, and Sandy Hall a couple, number of times in Midland, and but never quite got to that point, but it was always a thrill to be in the company of uh, Jim Hall. Yeah, and, it, and it's a, it's a thrill to, uh, to to have him here with us. I mean, I, I we, we've we've been talking about a lot of great uh, racing names here uh, today. Brian Redman's uh, name came came up, mm-hmm. and, and Brian Redman. Uh, when I I ask him when he's been on the program, I say, "What's the biggest change in racing over the last sixty years?" And he said, "Safety." Mm-hmm. He said, "I lost so many friends for sure back yeah. in the day." Did you? Yes, did, I uh, and and I think you you guys have both seen that over the years. Well, certainly. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I was really somewhat fortunate in the sense that uh, by the time I got to Indy, for example, um, you know, fire, which was a pretty prevalent, um, you know, after effect of an accident in India, was pretty well. Uh, the, the chances of that were, were nominal because now all the fuel was behind you because they were they needed the room on the sides of the cars for the underwing, which created the downforce. Uh, but having said that, when I, that's so... I got their speeds were really started to climb up at that point, and and um, of course at one time your feet were ahead of the front axle, you know. So usually it was a little bit of aluminum, and then your feet hit the wall. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate that uh, that never really happened to me, uh, but uh, a lot of guys. Rick Mears is a classic example. You know, his, I don't think there's any doubt his career was cut short because he suffered uh, ankle and foot injuries in 1984 and. And there were others, and, um, you know, we lost a few guys. But, you know, in the day that when Jim Hall drove and, and Brian, uh, I mean, uh, fatalities were a common, pretty common occurrence in any kind of racing. It was, didn't matter whether it was Formula One or your local SECA, you know, club race. It was, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it happened. I, I'm not sure people today would put up with it, frankly, because, you know, there were a lot of top great drivers that perished. Uh, re- fairly regularly, and I'm not sure people would would accept that today. Yeah, well, and and, and Jim, uh, you know, coming from an engineering uh, family, engineering background, that that's uh, that was a that was a whole new uh, element of innovation. How do you make cars safe to, uh, safer? You know, you're talking about ground effects that are making these things wicked quick. And now, how do you make them safer? What have been the big safety innovations over the last few decades? Of course, Bobby mentioned the the fuel and the fuel cells. And the composite shell the driver's in is huge. And the seat belts, the Hans, and then the racetracks themselves. Safety barriers. The the runoff areas are now pavement, which is fabulous. And And the safer wall. The safer wall. I mean, you can 
on and on. I mean, he can still get hurt. <laughs> well, Bobby, you know, you knew my father, and my, and yeah, my yeah. father had pictures from VIR yeah. in 1965, and you have trees all over oh, yeah. that, are, that are about uh, yeah. 10 feet from the track. Yeah, yeah, but I think the safer wall. Uh, has uh, really, at least on ovals, has really improved the safety. Well, even uh, really. here at M1, uh, we put some innovation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just I want to I, I just want to stop you there, uh, Tom. We're going to have to take a break here uh, to hear from our sponsors. But uh, hang on with that uh, question. We'll uh, we'll be right back uh, on the other side of the break. The night was young and the moon was cold, so we both decided to take a stroll. The following message has been brought to you by the doctors of Horsley Foot and Ankle. Thick, dark fungus nails? We treat that. Those hideous bunions and hammer tones? We treat that. What about those thick corns and calluses? We treat that, too. I suffer from foot pain and heel pain. We treat that. Even falls, breaks, and sprains? We most definitely treat that. Let the board-certified podiatrist of Horsley Foot and Ankle Surgeons treat all your foot and ankle needs. Call us today at 248-559-5200. That's 248-559-5200. Horsey Foot and Ankle is Metro Detroit's premier foot and ankle specialist. Make your appointment today. Call 248-559-5200. Diabetic feet? We treat that. Painful legs and cramps? We treat that. Numbness and tingling? We treat that too. Horsey Foot and Ankle treats it all. Make your appointment today. Call 248-559-5200. Mr. Softy Toilet Paper is manufactured in Detroit, Michigan with 2-ply 500 sheets and will bring long-lasting satisfaction every time. Quality is our goal, along with low cost, to give you the greatest bathroom experience. We've tested over 1,000 flushes, and it's septic-free, so you can flush with the confidence you deserve. For more information, visit our website at MrSoftyToiletPaper.com. That's M-R-S-O-F-T-I-E ToiletPaper.com. Are you drowning in debt? Struggling just to make minimum payments? It's not your fault. Serious debt can happen to anyone, but there is hope. Our debt-free program has helped thousands of good people, just like you, eliminate their credit card debt. Call us today, and we will dramatically reduce your credit card debt down to just a fraction of what you owe. The call is free. The consultation is free. Take control of your credit debt. Take control of your life again. Call now to see how our debt-free program can work for you. Call 800-872-5230. Who else but 910 AM can give you this much excitement? I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. We are on car radio. Full swing here on Saturday. Well, I just have a stream coming through here talking about cool cars, classic cars, hot rods, muscle cars. We've got a great lineup for you today. Best car radio show in all of Michigan. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation. Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Radio, you're on 910 AM, the Superstation. I'm Henry Payne, joined by Tom McDonald up here 
at M1 Concourse. Uh, we're enjoying a beautiful day at the inaugural American Speed Festival, and we're joined by uh, Jim Hall II, who's brought his beautiful Chaparral Can-Am cars up here, as well as uh, Bobby Rahal, legendary uh, racer and team owner. And Bob- Bobby, uh, during the break, you were telling a great story uh, about going out to Jim Hall School with your son, Graham, who right. everybody knows uh, as one of the great IndyCar racers. Uh, share, share that with the audience. Well, when Graham was young, um, he was bugging me about he wanted to race go-karts, and I really wasn't supportive of him racing. And uh, and then he finally wore me down. I said, okay, we're going to go to the Jim Hall Karting School because that's the best karting school in the country. And I said, we're going to go there, and you can let's see how you do before we go off and buy a go-kart. So uh, we went out there, uh, Oxnard, California, and uh, I dropped him off at, at Jim's place. And Jim said, you can't stick around. You know, we don't want parents you know, hanging around, which I understood. So I kind of disappeared. And, at the, and, and the, at the end of the day, I came back, and... And there's Jim and Graham, and, and Graham was eight at the time. And, and Jim, uh, I said, well, so, you know, what do you think? And he goes, you're in trouble. <laughs> get your wallet and, out. Get my wallet out. That was the start. And, uh, and yeah. I, I don't say that to just any dad. I, other dads, I say, okay, we got a lot of work to do here. A lot. So, well, he obviously had the passion for it. I mean, that's what oh, you look for first. Oh, yeah, he, he wanted did. to do it. Yeah, I, I, I had the brakes on. I had the reins and pulled, you know, up tight as, I, as tight as I could. And he just wanted to race. And I tell people today, if you knew him when he was four or five years old, you wouldn't be surprised as to where he is. Well, that, you know, it's, it's a great thing about coming out here and uh, seeing these historic cars, having uh, guys like you out here this weekend. You re- recount these stories and keep these uh, legends going. Uh, question to both of you, starting with you, Bobby. How has that uh how has it changed over time for a young driver like your son Graham coming in? Uh, did he is this the trajectory he took to become an IndyCar driver today? Typical, atypical? No, I think how's it different from no, when you grew up? Yeah, well, I think one big thing is is karting today is very you know very um, organized, well organized, sophisticated. I mean, these kids when they're you know when they're done when by ten or eleven years old, they have a tremendous amount of experience. They're very I mean, they really have really honed their craft in an extremely competitive environment. So when they get in a race car, it responds more slowly than a kart. I mean, it's yeah, it's almost uh, probably a little bit of a letdown at some point. But um, so that's a big difference. When I was when I was a kid, um, yeah, they had karting, but it was nothing like it is today. And 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 of course, when I drove, you had to be 21 uh, because it was based on the voting age. You know what the legal definition of an adult was. And uh, of course, that's changed now. I think Graham started racing cars at 14. Yeah. And uh, I think you can still do that today, if not maybe even younger. So um, it's a completely different environment. Today you can you, uh, you can make a good, if you succeed, you can be financially very successful as a driver. In the 60s and 70s, you had to race a lot in order to make any kind of money. And, uh, and, uh, and also, because you had to start late uh, at 21 or older, um, most, of the, most of the prime rides went to guys who were experienced so it was really tough for a young guy with not much experience to get those those opportunities so today is definitely a better it's more professional more money more everything yeah well so jim it sounds like you had a little something to do with this you're, you're obviously bringing through talent through your karting school uh how, how do you see it how how do how have uh how do drivers come into the sport well, well, like uh, Graham, it took passion, and uh, I came into uh, teaching karting in a different way. I went to my dad over and over, just like to Bobby, and said, I, I want to 
race and I'd like to start with carts and he said I'm too busy I'm running the oil business <laughs> running the Can-Am team running the 5000 team running Trans-Am and he said I'm too busy and it's too dangerous anyway <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm older than Graham I'm I'm 63 Graham is me? Uh, I'm, Graham, I'm Graham, older than you. Graham. Oh, Graham's only 32. Yeah, so so, yeah. so it's a whole different era, and uh, and I actually have another fun celebrity story. I was at the 70 Trans Am race at Watkins Glen, which we which won. won. We yeah. won because we only changed two tires when it started to rain. I don't know if you know I did, that. I know so that no. Penske had the fastest pit crew, but we only changed two <laughs> tires, so we got out with. <laughs> and with you had Vic, a great driver Vic. in it. We yeah. got out with Vic, who had a little rain experience yeah. and only a couple of laps. Left, so we won that race uh, during the weekend on Saturday. Um, there were these uh, uh, other cars racing, and I went to get a hot dog or hamburger. And I'm sitting there, and Paul Newman is also sitting there by himself. And I actually complained to him that my dad didn't want me to be a race driver. How did he do it? And he said, "Well, <laughs> I, I got pretty good at something else first, and made a made a little bit of money, and then I started racing much later. But I have the best time." Yeah. And he and I built a relationship over time. So I started karting on my own with my summer's earnings, working for uh, Carl Haas, uh, Jim Hall, Formula 5000 team, took my money, started karting, and then I realized no one was teaching people how to do it. And I had been around the pro teams, I had assimilated a lot of about it, of racecraft and about setting up vehicles and all that, and, and was able to, at my first nationals, to run right up front and do really well. And so I thought I would start teaching it and uh, and and tr had a fun career very different than bobby's very different than yeah. graham's and my dad's but had a really fun career and paul newman just said go make some money and then go have fun mm -hmm. and and he was really nice and he over the years like bobby he sent me a lot of students over the years but bobby you you partnered with uh, david letterman I still am yeah still, still a partner. partner and i think yeah. david went up oh, to, david used to come out his, to Jim's place. yeah when his show was on the west coast he'd come out one time he came out in nbc limo <laughs> and it sat there and i'm like what's the deal he said jim i lost my license i gotta drive something <laughs> <laughs> so yeah david letterman and and before the, the, they were uh, partners together uh he when we went to meadowlands he shows up and he That's said right. i want to do this i want to do this i said we already have four partners it's not going to happen here <laughs> and uh, and bobby was able to work but david is a passionate fan yeah. and just yeah. very similar to paul newman in the background is he, but, uh, is he so a, passionate. a decent driver he, no, he, drove a, he drove a go-kart really well. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you a fun one. He told me one time I wanted to get him in a shifter cart that are just like driving a Formula One car, but shorter, tighter. Yeah. And I put him out in there, and he came right back, and he said, this is like trying to drive and tossing a salad at the same time. <laughs> that was his analogy. That doesn't get much more violent than a shifter cart. I, all, I, all I know is... And, and he drives he the cart pretty well. Yeah, he got a lot of tickets on the Merritt Parkway in, in Connecticut, up, Connecticut. You know, up and, you yeah. know, up and down, uh, coming back and forth from the show in New York. So he must be pretty good. But I've never driven with him. I don't think I've ever been in the car with him. So it's, you know, And we've yeah, been partners did. now for 25 years. He did great in the carts. He yeah. loved it. And when he would invite people, and if they would show up a minute late, he'd be like, come on, you're wasting mine and Jim's time. Let's get going. <laughs> We're going to get Letterman out here at M1. Yeah. Yeah. See if we can get him out uh, next year. He can be... Uh, Grand Marshal. Yeah, Grand Marshal <laughs> ceremonies. So, uh, Jim, we've been talking about uh, your, your cars, uh, these uh, the fabulous chaparrales that are over here. Uh, Bob, you brought uh, some cars of your own. Talk I, about uh, some of the historic cars you got here. I did. Um, well, both cars that I brought really um, struck a nerve with me as a kid. You know, I grew up in the 60s, and 
and um, uh, you know Dan Gurney was a hero of mine uh, and of course I uh, it was a great moment when he won the Belgian Grand Prix in 1967 with his own car the only American to ever do that I mean really special and of course he actually those cars were actually built in 66 and uh, uh, you know with the help of uh, Goodyear Tire and Rubber at the time, he, they did a they built designed and built a string of Indy cars uh, for the '66 uh, 500. And the car I have is uh, was driven was one of those four AAR, uh, which stands for All American Racers, uh, one of the four entries they had that year. Um, driven by a fellow named Jerry Grant, who um, co-drove with Dan at Le Mans and Sebring and Daytona and various other uh, uh, ra- uh, tracks as well. And um, I just think it's the most beautiful open-wheel car ever designed and built. So when I had the opportunity to, to buy it, um, I did. And, of course, it took about two and a half years of restoration. But um, it's just a beautiful car. And um, You got to get a chance to uh, take it out on the track? Well, unfortunately, uh, it had an engine issue. The Magneto failed, so it's, it can't run. But um, but it, does, it looks fast just sitting there, right? And, it's a beautiful uh, car. And, of course, it has, the, it has the 4-cam Ford engine, which had the... This glorious, what we would call bundle of snakes, exhaust up through the center of the V. Uh, and it's just, uh, to me, just a spectacular car. Um, the other car I have is a, a 66 uh, a Porsche Carrera 6. This is Porsche's uh, first real race car uh, that you couldn't drive on the street. And um, I know you have one. And, uh, yeah, and my father car. raced one in the late 60s, early 70s. So I tell people after high school, after every day in school and high school, I'd where would I end up after work? I'd end up cleaning it or doing something on his car. And uh, uh, and so I had the chance to, to buy this Carrera 6 a uh, number of years ago. And I just think it's a spectacular car. Um, and, um, you know, really kind of represents a great period of time of sport of endurance racing in particular. You know, 66. Yeah, and that was the basis moving forward for Porsche's launch up into... 917. Well, eventually, you know, the, yeah. 906, right. 908s, right. 910s. Right. Uh, the, well, the 906, I think, was the first car where they actually won a major race overall. And, uh, of course, right after this car, then, then as you say, each year, progressively, they more and more powerful cars. And then, of course, by 1969, 70, 71, they dominated. Um, yeah. yeah, that was tracing. the Ferdinand Piek yeah. uh, motors. Well, that, yeah, that's, a, that's another, you know, just a to, to, you know, nice thing to wrap the bow in. I mean, it's their uh, Piek yeah. as a young man who ultimately ran a VW okay. group. Uh, that's how he cut his teeth. This was, was, was his first. This was his first first car, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and, the story uh, goes though that he almost broke the factory yeah, yeah. with the money that was spent developing the 917. Right. That they had to homologate with 25 cars. Yes. Yeah. And there's a famous picture of those cars lined up for homologation right. inspection. About half of them didn't have engines in them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at least there were 25. When Ferrari did it, there were about 10, you know, and they had to take everybody off, the inspectors out for lunch and then showed and them another wine. 10, and they all think it was the same, the same cars, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm, I was fortunate to, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up at a time when I saw Jim Hall Sr., Jim's dad, race uh, the Chaparral and, and, you know, Mario Andretti and, of course, uh, you know, all the Bruce McLaren, all the great, great drivers, Mark Donahue. 
And, uh, you know, uh, I really feel fortunate. Vic Elford, who drove for Jim's Trans Am team, I, you, know, I, you know, and I became friends with them later in life, which was, you know, I never imagined that I'd ever become friends with these well, guys. Bobby, they were really real heroes to me. You're being a little humble, but there are young people here that are looking to you as one of the great races of all time from all of your indie uh, work and uh, but I also I think I read somewhere that you had a short life with NASCAR I did one race um, with probably one of the most famous NASCAR teams the Wood Brothers the Wood family uh, at Riverside, California in 84. So it was uh, a road course. It was a road yeah. course. I didn't run... Uh, the only the only kind of stock car type cars I drove on the ovals were the, when I was in the IROC series. Uh, but to drive for the, the Wood Brothers, uh, their, their family, wonderful family, still racing. Uh, unfortunately, Glenn Wood passed away, I think, a year or so ago, but Leonard Wood's still with us and is just a wonderful man. And uh, their, their sons, Eddie and... and um, uh, Eddie Wood and, and who I they crewed the car I drove on in, in 84 and we didn't finish the race unfortunately but uh, it was just a great experience very very different from what I was used to uh, but still um, a great experience and I feel fortunate for that. Yeah well, back in those days you uh, you drove everything as you say I, 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 I want to ask you guys for as we wind up the uh, segment here the uh, the theme of the American Speed Festival is uh, is past present Race cars, past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. uh, future these days, a lot of talk about electrification. Uh, that the uh, Bobby, you ran the uh, Jag Jaguar I Pace right. in a race series. Right. Uh, talk about that experience and what you think about electric racing. <laughs> well, it was pretty quiet to begin with. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to shout. <laughs> I am not, uh, and I'm in the automobile business also. Uh, I am not a fan. Uh, maybe I'm a bit of a dinosaur. Um, but I also think that I don't think there's any one technology that's going to be the answer. There's not one magic bullet. Uh, hybrid cars, I think, are equally as, as uh, efficient. And, of course, we're talking about hydrogen. But to me, racing, and again, this probably shows my age, but racing is noise and smell and color and, uh, you know, tension and uh, drama and all those things. And... Um, I just don't get that when I see a, when I go to see a Formula E race, for example. I just don't get the same those same feelings. So, it might appeal to some people because of the you know the the technical interest. But for me, racing is is about competition, not necessarily about you know you can have great racing in, in, in very simple cars. Yeah. So um, uh, you know technology plays a role, but to me that shouldn't be the dominant role. It should be man and machine versus another man and machine. Jim, what do you what do you think? About electric cars, they're, 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 electric they're, racing, they're, electrification. Yeah. Well, well, it's part of our future. It's part of our present. And uh, so, just to try it out, even though besides the chaparrales, I'm a Porsche guy. I, I, we have three Porsches. I, I have the new Tesla S. Just, it's like a big slot car. Yeah. Just go, stop. Yeah. So I tell Dad, you know, he's all, "Why do you have a Tesla?" I said, "It's." Part of our current and future, and so I have one because it's fun. Yeah, yeah I have it's, a uh, Porsche he, he, Panamera hybrid. Hybrid. Yeah, I, my is. wife that you just met too, and she loves it. So, um, so it, it's part of the deal, and it's really, like you said, it's stealthy fun. 
No one knows you're going fast. No one. No one. Including yeah. yourself. If I had an electric car, I'd have to have sounds of a car in there with me. Just yeah. to, yeah. They have some programs to do they? through the stereo. You could press Ferrari or nice. Nice. Maserati or whatever. But, 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 they, but, but racing and production have always been in parallel. Yeah. I right. mean, uh, yeah. the production guys are always learning from yeah. the racing guys. Bobby, what did you learn in, in racing the IPEX? Well, that was that was kind of a tough series because it was really everything was spec. We didn't prepare the cars. We just brought a driver, showed up, and uh, but clearly there are challenges to that kind of racing that are that are um, unique compared to what I would call normal racing. You know how to use the battery. You know when to uh, when to save energy, when not to save energy, uh, because you know uh, especially in, this is like three three years ago or so. You know, battery strength was, is an issue, and and how do you how do you maximize what you've got and still you know and win the race? And it's just not by going the fastest you can go because it won't make it. A lot if you of do strategy, that. Yeah, electrical strategy. There's strategy in it, and of course, uh, on the Formula E side, which was much more sophisticated than what we were doing, um, there there's there's real art, there's real art to it for sure, but um, but uh, uh, but in the end, um, yeah, it's all about how do you get. How do you how do you, how do you win and and be able to save your battery and, and save the power when you need it? And I just did a totally different program. I did a, a ten racetrack time attack with electric cars. So all we did is go out and do one lap and come in and see what kind of time we could do. Is this with the Teslas? This with the Tesla. Uh, is this the Model S or the Plaid? We, we we did the the three performance. This was earlier in the year before both of those were out. Yeah. So uh, we set ten track records in a month. So, yeah. No, that's so, that's and fine. You just go out and do that, one lap. Yeah. There, no, there, no, no battery problem. Yeah. No. And and Graham. That's fun. Uh, my son Graham had a, the Taycan, you know, the new Porsche, and he said it's the fastest street car he's ever driven. I, I agree. Mean, unbelievable. So. Um, they go fast. Yeah. Well, we'll see not, where it goes. Not we'll, for long. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I have a Tesla, and I take it out on this uh, this track, and a mile and a half around this track takes six miles off the battery. So really? It, it really, yeah. really drains the... Uh, Really drains the battery. Uh, Jim Hall, the second Thank Bobby you. Ray Hall. Thanks Thank for guys. joining us today. Great to have you Always on the good seeing you. on the program. Yeah. And enjoy the weekend. All Thank right. You. Thank yeah. you. Great to be here at the American Speed Festival. All right, we're uh, for our last segment here. I think we've got uh, Casey Putsch out here uh, waiting waiting in the wings for us. Uh, Casey is a uh, is a racer, a uh, car restoration guy. Uh, does, a, does a lot of uh, great work. And uh, so we'll, we'll try to uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to uh, find him. And uh, great to see uh, Bobby Ray Hall and Jim Hall the second. I didn't realize uh, they had such a great history together, uh, Tom. Yeah, I'm telling great, you, great these, these, these yeah. are two legends. And uh, as I said, Bobby's pretty humble, and uh, Jim is pretty humble. But these are special guys. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what's cool about this weekend is you can hang out in the paddock. Uh, you can you can find uh, Jim Hall. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. Good to see you, Bobby. Thanks. Uh, you can you can come up here in the paddock. You can uh, meet meet uh, legends like this, uh, see their legendary cars, and then go out and watch the cars go around the track. Uh, yeah, here we have really a, a mixture of cars on the track right now. A mixture of cars. Here's a, uh, a Porsche 911 uh, rally car from the probably 19. 
76, 77. Yeah, right. you're, you're our uh, resident GT uh, Porsche expert. It's hard to see. <laughs> and uh, then there's two Devons that are coming by here. Uh, one driven by John DeGainer, who is a uh, uh, vintage racer like you are, Henry. And he also owns a garage here at M1. Yeah, and keeps, uh, I think keeps the Devons here uh, and takes them out on track, which is just what they are uh, just what they were built for. Uh, Casey Putsch, uh, great to have you on the program. Thank you. Great, great to have you here for this uh, for this event. What do you what do you what do you think of this American Speed Festival? Oh, I'm having an absolute time of my life this year. I, I adore how all of this wonderful history can come together here in the greater Detroit area for everyone to enjoy. And I'm just I just feel great just walking around seeing everybody. You see sportsmen, you see people like Jim Hall Jr. and the whole Chaparral family. Bobby Ray Hall brings out some vintage cars that are loves of his and there's just so many great people here that own uh, the condos at M1 too. And this track is uh, a great track for uh, spectators uh, to be able to sit up here as we are with uh, Henry Payne sitting up on top of the uh, terrace of the M1 Event Center uh, overlooking the one-and-a-half-mile uh, high-speed test track, as we would call it right now. And uh, a great, great place to for the car owners to uh, drive and exercise their cars. Oh, indeed, absolutely. Yeah, and tell us about your uh, Corvette. Well, the Corvette we're running today is a 1989 uh, IMSA GTO Corvette with the Riggins chassis. And that was one that was uh, ran in IMSA for a number of years and then SCCA GT1 for a long time. And actually picked that car up specifically for the Genius Garage Educational Programs, which is a 501c3 my wife and I created some eight years ago. And that's to kickstart the careers of collegiate-level engineering students. So we actually restored that myself with these students. And we've campaigned at various... Uh, historic motorsports event across country and so happy to be here well this is very interesting too because here we have uh people who are not just building cars to drive on the track but also as an educational tool when you have the students building these cars and getting into this whole area of uh science technology engineering you know the whole stem program oh, exactly it's, it's really quite good and and i, I know uh uh, these young men and women will certainly uh, go forward and bring some good experience to their careers. Well, very much so. And, you know, Genius Garage, what's going on there really parallels what you've all accomplished here with the American Speed Festival. We're bringing this motorsports history to the public, and we're keeping it alive and keeping it relevant. And through Genius Garage, I'm able to use that incredible motorsports engineering history to help cultivate the leaders of industry tomorrow. We've got students everywhere from Fiat Chrysler, Dana, Marathon Oil, Tesla, GM, you name it. It's pretty incredible. And that instills the spark for these young people to actually get into vintage racing, restore cars, and run them themselves in the future. Well, again, they get some dirt under their fingernails, which is a good experience. Oh, yeah, yes. I'll do. <laughs> well, Casey, um, you know, we were, we were talking to uh, Jim Hall a second uh, earlier. His father... Sort of, sort of fell into uh, racing engineer, uh, racing engineering. Uh, met met Carol Shelby on the way. I mean, it was a very seat of the pants development in those days. I know you've you've developed a Genius Garage because you're trying to develop these skills. Um, do, do, you, do you see yourself as a graduate school? I mean, where, where is racing engineering today? Oh my goodness. Well. One small difficulty, which is actually a rather large one, is if you graduate a four-year degree in mechanical engineering, it is possible for you to graduate with never turning a screwdriver. 
that is a tangible, difficult thing for industry because the American educational system is largely becoming a vacuum. And it does what it does well with the theoretical classroom aspect, but we can't lose sight of the practical application. And what I found with Gina's Graduate Motorsports is when you can bring young together, young people together as a team and they get to work on themselves as a team their interpersonal confidence their ability to work together to solve uh, a common goal of racing and motorsports where the engineering matters you don't get a second try you got to do it right it's a very real world so it really cre it's a crucible we forge those young people uh into you know the best version of themselves that are going to hit the ground running in industry uh, do, do do they get on track experience? I mean, do you, do you, uh, I know some of the SAE programs uh, incur get these teams together. The, ki the kids develop a formula car. They take it to the track. They compete. Uh, do, you, do you see that as an important element of Genius Garage? It's not as important as the teamwork and the engineering and bringing together. So, with regard to the on track, I, I like to bring them out to kart racing because that's a very good entry level area where they can learn racing. They can learn the seat of the pants feel, which is also very important. There's many places, if you're a test engineer and you're out at a test track for a big motor company, you need to be able to actually drive a vehicle to get data and engineer it. So we like to do that with things like karting and autocross, but frankly, the cars that we do in Genius Garage are professional level. We've got IndyCar, IMSA cars, etc., which are a long way out of their skill level, shall we say. Besides uh, a place like this, where would you, quote, exercise all of these cars in your garage? Well, typically we run at tracks like Mid-Ohio or Road America, maybe Indianapolis on the F1 track, uh, and, you know, various other tracks around America for testing here and there. That's a great, it's got to be a great experience. Oh, it's tremendous. Young and people. The biggest well, thing is just... What? How long have, uh, has your foundation been in existence? And 2013 was the first year. So it's about eight years now, if I'm doing my math right. <laughs> well, if you're a good engineer, you better be doing your math right. <laughs> well, you've also been very innovative in YouTube. I mean... Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's uh, been a fascinating journey. Yeah. How, how, does that, how, how does that help you, help your business? Well, it's been a tremendous thing because, uh, obviously, the world changes and things move on. And, and this is an age of social media. Uh, and with Genius Garage, that was something that I was, was championing, and I, I knew it was a big deal, a, uh, a forward-thinking concept, and I wanted it to get the attention I felt it deserved, which put me on a mission to kind of figure out media and get exposure. And uh, the crazy side effect of that was my experience, I guess, personality ended up working on a uh, very quickly up-and-coming YouTube show called VinWiki, which launched my own channel um, and has basically created this fantastic platform for me to create and engage with millions of car enthusiasts out there, but also bring the exposure to Genius Garage that helps the public support something wonderful like that and grow it. So tell us how, uh, like, our listeners can uh, contact you and uh, what's your your uh, email address and uh, well, where, where can they find you online? Certainly. Well, if you just Google Genius Garage, you're going to find that education program real quick, but GeniusGarageRacing.com. Uh, i got social media there. I'm Casey Putch, C-A-S-E-Y-P. P-U-T-S-C-H. Uh, I'm pretty darn easy to find, too. Uh, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. And if that's too hard to spell my last name, just type in Casey Batmobile, and you'll find me pretty quick. Wow. <laughs> so the, the pretty uh, wide audience. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the Batmobile is a good story. Tell, tell us about the Batmobile. Oh, well, you, you know how it is. You stay up on the Internet late night, and you get wild ideas. And one wild idea I had was, you know, it'd be cool if I had a replica of the Michael Keaton era Batmobile that I could drive on the street, but no, no, we're not going to put a V8 in it. I want it to be powered by what it was supposed to be in fiction, a military turbine engine. 
So at the time, I was searching eBay and found myself a Vietnam-era drone anti-submarine Boeing helicopter engine, <laughs> which is a perfect size to put in a car. Made about 400 horsepower out of the turbo shaft, so made that up to a uh, four-speed automatic uh, gearbox that I made be manual shift, so... Built that wild Batmobile, and it was turbine. So it idled at 20,000 RPMs. It was a lot of fun. So you'll, um, you'll have to bring that out here this, uh, sometime. The uh, the owner of this station owns a Batmobile. Does he? From the t- TV series. And, oh, uh, yes. You guys could bring two of them out. That, that'd be uh, quite a sight to have those together. That would be very cool. Around this track. I, I, I come out here, and, I, and it's hard for me to get past the Chaparrales. I mean, uh, seeing those three cars together is, uh, is truly extraordinary. Um, what, what, what gives you goosebumps walking around this place? What cars do you like? I, I mean, the Chaparrales, it's such a familiar thing. I, I've seen them in person, but it, it I don't know if it gives me goosebumps so much as it just warms my automotive heart. Uh, having them be out, being out here, being prepared, driven, all the nice people, and we're all here racers together. So, you know, racing can be a very competitive place. <laughs> Even, some, even when they tell you not to. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, racing can get very, very serious um, and to a point where maybe it takes away that uh, childhood love that we all fell uh, in love with motorsports with. And here, the American Speed Festival really has done an awesome job of creating an environment where we can all stoke the fire of that childhood love for racing. Well, yeah. that's, that's a great uh, explanation of it. And, and I can tell you as a owner and a member of the M1 Motorsports Club. We're just absolutely thrilled to see people like yourself out here and hear your stories, but see the cars on the track and, and not just look at them like as a museum piece. But these, now this is rolling art. Yeah. And noisy rolling art. Very much so. <laughs> so, so Casey, the, the, uh, Tom did a lot of development work on the, on the Mazda Club racer the, oh. the, the little mx5 uh, club racers yeah. he's got he's got one in his garage over here and there's there's a cup car and yes there's there's probably not a greater contrast in motorsport between a a v8 powered corvette race car like you have and a mazda uh, cup car but that's how a lot of people get into racing these days very much is so. with yeah. mazda it's through the grassroots efforts uh, yes. you know mazda likes to say that on any given weekend there's more Mazdas being raced than any other car. Indeed. Actually, a year ago, I got to test an MX-5 Cup car in mid-Ohio. Oh, I have one over here. You can test it here. I'd love it. Well, it was it was challenging. It was rewarding. It was fun. And I think it's something that works works for anybody of a skill level. It, and exactly. And when you see these Cup cars racing, I mean, if you're in third place coming towards the start, towards the finish, you're going to win. <laughs> I mean, if they, these guys come across three and four it's the most exciting racing I think there is out there right now to watch. And it's a great uh, school, if you will, for people going forward. Mazda has a program uh, used to call the Road to the 24. Yes. Uh, which started with MX, actually started with Spec Miata, then went up to MX-5 Cup car, and then going up to Prototype. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, forgive me, but I think the MX-5 Cup Series had a, a rather fabulous cash prize, even more oh, yeah. so than a lot of high-end racing. Like a $100,000 scholarship. Oh, it was wild, yeah. 200000 yeah. It yeah. yeah, no, it's tremendous that uh, Mazda puts that kind of money into racing, and, and uh, it's affordable. It's a way to get people in. Uh, yeah, it's great to see those uh, cup cars. Uh, gentlemen, we're out of time. We're going to uh, wrap up the show. Casey, uh, great for you to be here and take us home. And uh, neat to see you, Tom, here with the American Speed Festival for the first 
And uh, the first of uh, many to come, I hope. Well, we hope that uh, you, you can be back here next year, Henry, and uh, maybe you could bring some of your cars and put them on the track. Yeah. Henry owns a, uh, uh, a beautiful uh, Porsche 906 Ooh. and a 904. Yeah. Yeah, I got some nice Porsches, some quick, uh, more modern Lolas, so I got to get them out of here. Your father was into Porsches. That's that's how I know you. I remember when I first started vintage racing, your, you and your father were out. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we raced uh, uh, a lot of Porsches together. Oh, and, uh, I can't he, wait. He's, he's no longer with us, but... Uh, well, he's a very nice man. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and a very innovative uh, engineer to boot. I have to say, was that you or your father that lost the throttle cable in your Mercedes and then used shoelaces and your hand outside the window? <laughs> to get to Mid-Ohio. That would be my father. Was it? Yeah, very yeah. very innovative guy. Innovative man. I love it. <laughs> guys, guy. thanks for having me here. I can't wait to come back in the future. Grace Casey, thank you. Tom, thank you. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us today here from uh, M1 Concourse, the American Speed Festival. Uh, great start uh, to this great uh, program. We hope to be back here next year. Have a great weekend, a great day. This is Henry Payne. Keep the shiny side up. business builder looking for support to solve issues related to business strategy, e-commerce, operations and processes, marketing or finance? If so, check out the TechTown training series and access free on-demand video workshops led by subject matter experts. TechTown Detroit is a nonprofit business support organization and we want to help solve your hot button business issues at your convenience. Sign up for our free on-demand training series at techtowndetroit.org slash training series. Again, that's techtowndetroit.org slash training series. Get a basic understanding of business management, marketing, operations, financing, legal, and so much more at TechTown Detroit. The TechTown Training Series is made possible with support from the Walters Family Foundation. Detroit Affordable Housing Task Force and co-sponsored Detroit People's Platform invites the Detroit community to our Affordable Housing Informational Fair on Saturday, October 9th, 2021 from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. at St. Matthew's and St. Joseph's Episcopal Church parking lot located at 8850 Woodward Avenue, the corner of King Street. The special guest speakers, President Pro Temp Mary Sheffield, 13th District Congresswoman Rashida Talib and many others. Some participants will receive a free box lunch and visit the community resources tables. We believe all Detroit children and families deserve a safe, affordable place to live and call home. The Detroit Affordable Housing Task Force and DPP goal is to increase affordable housings. This is the City of Detroit's Housing Department job. As you know, the City of Detroit has been in a severe affordable housing crisis. Many Detroiters cannot